All righty. Well, speaking of going globally, uh, two of us, yours and yours and mine and mine and yours truly, <laughs> just got back from going globally. And uh, yeah, we went to Greece for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> very, very, very frightening indeed. Galileo, Galileo, Galileo. <laughs> I'm sorry. Keep up. Keep up. Yep, Sarah did get to put up with me for two <laughs> weeks, and it was good. So this morning, we're just going to talk about our trip, talk about what God did. There were some really powerful things that happened, and um, got a lot of pictures that we're going to show, and we're just going to show pictures and talk about stuff as we go. Um, but we took a trip to uh, Greece, and we went to a couple of places, um, but our main hub that we stayed at was a city called uh, Latraki. And it's like a, a suburb of the city of Corinth. And Lutraki is a city that's about 16,520 people. And so, um, we'll see if this is ready. Are we, we got the, I turned her on. We'll see if the... There we go. So here's Sarah and I on the plane. We uh, flew out of Indianapolis, flew up to Chicago. Chicago got on an international flight. Flow, flew, floated, we floated, we floated really good, we flew 10 hours into Istanbul, Turkey, which we thought was going to be, I don't know, we just didn't know what to think, Sarah kind of put a little, you know, like, I hear they have AK-47s and they're standing... <laughs> And I'm like, what? I was trying no. to warn him. <laughs> and, uh, and there was no AK-47s. <laughs> there was none of that stuff. It was like Chicago. I mean, it was a beautiful airport, you know. And so we flew into Istanbul and had a little bit of a layover. And had Starbucks there. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> we're like, this is hardly a mission trip. This is, <laughs> this is amazing. And so... Uh, and then from Istanbul, we flew on to uh, Athens, Greece, where we were picked up by the team. And then we had to drive about an hour and a half from Athens to Latraki, which is where we were staying. So when we got into Latraki, it is a very, very beautiful uh, place. Now, this is the Istanbul um, airport. And as you can see, it's very modern looking. I mean, you can see the green Starbucks sign in the far, far back over there. So, you know, it was a little bit of heaven on earth right there. And so, um, but it was very busy, very busy international airport. And just, just a beautiful place. So, this is Latraki. It's a actual resort city. <laughs> we were suffering for Jesus, I promise you. that It's coming. I swear it's coming, <laughs> but this is the beach <laughs> that you literally, so like the houses that we were staying at, there's a neighborhood like up this way, like to your right of this picture, and you like step out into your street and you literally see all the way down to this sea. This is the Sea of Corinth, and so they were on their Easter break, so that's why there's kids out here playing and a few people sunbathing. Believe me, it was not warm enough to be in that water. But they were there. <laughs> they were doing it. And so 
Um, so this is uh, another angle, and you can see it's just so beautiful. There are mountains in the background. Um, if it was a little clearer, you could see some mountains a little further back, and there's snow caps on them. Um, but this was the other direction, and um, this again, oh no, there we go. So this is the boardwalk, and so this is where the beach is at. This is, again, it's a tourist area. There are shops all the way through here, um, cafes. Those are all hotels right there. And so it's just a beautiful place. There's fountains where you can go, and you can just sit and be with the Lord, be with each other. And all of the Greece people are just, they're really friendly people. And it was just, it's just a beautiful, and it's sunny like that. Now, um, in the very background of this mountain, let's see, which one is the, there it is. Okay, so see right up here, that little building, that's a uh, monastery right there. And then there's another one up a little higher. So we're I'm getting ready to get to that. So that is a monastery. It's, the, uh, it's a Greek Orthodox um, monastery that we took a trip to um, the next day. And so this is us. And now you can get to drive up the mountain, which was a lot of fun. And I was in the front seat holding on to the oh man uh, handle there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, trying to keep my lunch down as we zigged and zagged up and down. And Sarah was also trying to keep her lunch down. So we were in the front seat of this van just trying not to die. <laughs> but we made it. And so this is a kind of a, a far shot. Everywhere in the whole world, you know, it's like we got crab apple trees in all of every backyard of every home in little Midwest. They have olive trees everywhere. Like, it's just everywhere. They have lemon trees and orange trees like we have apple trees and pear trees. It's, it's simply amazing um, everywhere. It's just beautiful. So, so this is the monastery. Um, so we, this is a view from the monastery up on this mountain. So imagine where we were on looking up. So we're at that spot looking down. And so this is, um, so there's the city of Latraki. There was the boardwalk that we were just on. Our house is probably somewhere up in this neighborhood right over here. And this is the Sea of Corinth, which the city of Corinth will be over here as far as, you know, if we were a bigger map. And then over there, that is the Mediterranean Sea. And this is a canal that connects those two bodies of water. And so, again, beautiful, beautiful landscape. There it is, some of the snow-capped mountains you can see in the background. And that's the city of, of Corinth back here. Um, this is Corinth that we'll be going to here in a little bit. So it was just a, it was a beautiful day. It was windy and... Um, and up on the mountain, it was like 10 times windier, and I was the only one who was dumb enough to forget a jacket. <laughs> so, so I had to have people hug me the whole time <laughs> to stay warm. I don't know how that happened. Satan was buffeting us at every turn. And so, um, so this is the gate. Mm. Yeah. There's the gate, and uh, there's certain hours that you get to go in, and so we were just sitting out, hanging out. This is our team right here, part of our team. So they open the gate, and you get in, and so this is the, 
this is a chapel right here that we obviously you couldn't get into, and there's a bell for the call to worship. The Orthodox Church at like 8 a.m., and I think once in the evening they ring a bell to, to for a call to worship. Yes, and so, um, so, so it was just a beautiful, again, right up on the mountain, um, there's another spot, it's very beautiful, um, and this is a nunnery, this is only women, um, and then there's another one that's up on the hill, and that was the men's, we didn't get to that one, but it's very beautiful, here's Sarah and I, if, if you see the wind is radically altering Sarah's hair. She has a mustache temporarily. <laughs> Lucky for me, mine is uh, never moves ever. So, but you can see the Sea of Corinth in the background. It's just amazing, amazing spot. Now, while we were here, uh, so we left this place and we went to another location that has this beautiful lighthouse that I can't believe I didn't take a picture of. But it's got this beautiful lighthouse out on this edge of this rock, this cliff. And so... But it was also the site of some ruins. And so this, at this spot, is the sanctuary of Hera Akaria Lemania. Don't know who that is, but anyway, that's what you're getting ready to look at. And so right here is all of the ruins right through here. This was the temple. There was an altar of sacrifice right here. These were a couple of shops. Um, there was another ritualistic thing. I don't know what it was right there. And then you can see this little pier made solid just out of rocks, you know. And so, you know, the history here, obviously, you know, thousands and thousands of years versus in America where we're on, you know, hundreds. And so it's just amazing the stuff that is there as far as um, the people. Now, so this is where the work began. This is the refugee center that's there near uh, Latraki. And um, this is a UN-run uh, refugee center. And so, now, you're not going to see pictures because we can't take pictures of these refugees. They told us explicitly, do not take a single picture. Do not post this on social media. Some of these people are still being hunted. Some of these people are still being looked for. There are people still after them to kill them. And if you take pictures and they start finding out where they are, they will come and kill these people. So, so I took a quick shot of the entrance, and that's it. That's all you're going to get as far as pictures. But we did so much amazing stuff with these refugees. And I'll let Sarah kind of share some things of what we were doing at this one. And then when we get to the Athens one, we can talk about that one as well. Okay, so like Tom said, this was one of the UN-ran centers, and this was actually a hotel. So, so the refugees that came to this specific center um, were fortunately able to live there um, and do laundry there, shower there, and then the UN um, was providing meals for them, cafeteria-based food, that kind of thing. Um, so we mostly came into this center just to socialize with people, to talk with people, um, to play with the kids. This was, um, any, any ministry was strictly, 
you know, off limits. Um, we were there um, just as volunteers, just to kind of hang out with people. Um, and we were really thankful that they even let us in to, to be able to hang out with these awesome people. Um, I know that, that the men had some really good time being able to talk with some other men um, and, and listen to some of them play their music and, you know, talk about how things were at home. And then a couple of the girls and I um, started up a, a soccer game, and these Syrian kids know how to play <laughs> some soccer. Um, so, so we played with them and brought some games, brought some nail polish and stuff to paint some little girls you know, fingers and, and that kind of thing. We just really wanted to love on these people and spend some good time with them because they've been through some really, really awful things. So um, the reason there's so many refugees in Greece is because when, when people were leaving, mostly Syria, fleeing and seeking refuge, a lot of people um, paid an outrageous amount of money to get a spot on these like rubber, awful boats um, where they would be packed in like sardines, like kids on top of shoulders. Like the stories that we heard were just incredible. Um, and, and they would come over on these boats, and it's, it's just a, it was a terrifying thing for them. Um, I was able to talk to one woman who shared just briefly, you know, about how she came to come over, and it was, um, it's just a really, it's a sad thing. You know, these people don't know how to swim, so if they fall off these rafts, you know, it's not always looking so good for them. So just to come and to be able to be in Greece and, and escape, you know, the war-torn land they were in was, was a huge feat in itself. Um, and then they get here and, and finding somewhere to stay and finding a way to survive is an entirely different thing for these people. Um, so it, it was really, it was really just good just to be able to spend some quality time with them. They're bored, you know, they've been through trauma either. Um, I'm sure they want somebody to go play with their kids so they can just kind of, so the adults can kind of have a moment to regroup. So that's a lot of what we did, um, in this, in this center. So it was, um, it was really good because, um, they, you know, they told us, we couldn't share, don't talk about Jesus, don't talk about your faith, unless they ask. And so we didn't have a lot of opportunities to share, but we were able to be loved to them, you know. We were able to, to, to show them that we care, that people care. You know, some of the people who were at this one, I mean, they had been there for a year, living in a hotel room. They don't get to cook. They don't get to eat, you know, the foods that they're, they're used to. And so, literally, they're just waiting for the UN to assign them to a nation. And so, a lot of our conversations with them were like, where are you from, and where do you want to go? And, you know, well, uh, and a lot of them, you know, could speak some okay English. There's a few that spoke good English and kind of helped us interpret. But most of them, you know, they came from Syria and Iran, and um, most of them want to end up in Germany. They're like, they're literally, some of them are even taking German to learn German. But Greece is like the, the, the bottleneck. It's like the gateway to Europe, which is why it's such a big deal in Greece, the refugee crisis, because it's like it's all coming through Greece, and from Greece it goes out to the rest of the nations. But a lot of these families, they've been there for a year, year and a half, and they're just waiting, and they have no idea. It's not like, you know, well, in six months we, your number comes up, you know. We really wouldn't survive. They've really stunted things. They've stunted the the passageway. So a lot of nations aren't accepting these people anymore. So they're kind of stuck 
there on on right. lockdown, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Thousands of people. And so it's just it's sad, and you can see how much they miss their culture. And so uh, Sarah mentioned music. So um, so the second day that we went to this place, um, so Mar- I was talking with a group of men. They invited me over to talk, and and uh, Marvin, who um, is this guy right here, he was uh, he leads I Hope. He's the director of I Hope, and and this is Lisa Flake. They were kind of the team leaders for this trip. And um, and so they encourage you, you know, men talk to men, women talk to women. You know, the girls had to dress a certain way. They had to have their three quarters long sleeve shirts. They had to wear long pants, nothing tight. The guys, we could pretty much get away with everything, just because you know it's a it's a, a culture that oppresses women, and men are the supreme entities. Which you know, we won't go there. We know that's not true, but. So we're there. We're, I'm talking to a group of men, and, and, you know, these guys are really trying their best to communicate. And this guy pulls up his Facebook on his phone, and he starts scrolling through pictures, and he's pointing, and he hands me his phone, and he wants me to start looking through. And, and he's telling me, he says, Parimera, uh, Parimera. And I was like, well, what's that? And there's a guy who's kind of there interpreting. He says, that's his hometown. I'm like, oh, okay. And so he's showing me pictures. And so we get to certain, you know, and there's some beautiful, you know, places that he's showing me. And he goes, he goes, this, this gone, boom, ISIS blow up, it's gone. This, gone, boom, blow up, ISIS blow this. And I mean, over and over, it's like their whole lives. And so you ask them, you know, like, what did you do? And, oh, I, w- I worked on cars, and I was a baker, and one guy was a roofer, you know, and, and they just, and even though it's so terrible in their land, they just wish they could go back. They don't even want to be here. <laughs> That's They don't want to. And so it was just so sad to watch, you know, when they tell me this is gone and that blew up and that's been blown up, you know. And they tell you, don't ask them about the trauma that they've experienced, you know, because what they say is that um, 70% of the refugees are are considered um, clinically depressed because of the situation they're in. If they were to be able to get a diagnosis, 70% of them are depressed. And so just seeing us show up with a few balls and some games, it, it just, because they just sit in this hotel all day. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. So the second day we're there, Marvin has a conversation with a guy that he had talked to the first day. And he was kind of new to this location. And he starts talking, you know, and he's talking, talking to Marvin. And I'm talking to the inside guys. And Marvin comes in and he goes, hey. This guy plays music, and he wants to show us some music. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so, so he's like, come, come, you know. And so we, we go upstairs to his room, which we find out later was very wrong and very illegal. <laughs> and, but we didn't know. The guy invited us. We were like, hey, he invited us. We're sorry, you know, because they came and got us <laughs> quickly. But not before I was able to take a video of what he played. And so he, he took a guitar and he tuned it like a, bal- a bazooki. And a bazooki is a, is a Turkish or, or Greek guitar. It's got eight strings, and it's, it's tuned in a drone-ish sound, so a lot of the strings are similar. And they just kind of play on one string, and they, it's really amazing. And so to modify this guitar, he literally had to take some toothpicks, and he had to tape them in between a couple of frets because in the Turkish 
um, music, there are some semitones that they have that we don't have in Amer Western music, you know, the, the half step, half step, whole step. They have a quarter steps in their music. And so, so I was able to get this video. I had to block out his face because I accidentally got a little bit of it. Go ahead and stop it, start it, turn up the Mac so you can hear it because there is sound. Let's, there you go. You can turn it up a little bit. You can see the toothpicks that he taped right there, right there, and right there. This man was an incredible musician. Makes you want to get up and go, hey! And then he's going to start singing also. This is a love song about a girl that he loved. The song is about loving a girl, but she doesn't love the guy back. It's like a country song in Turkish. So, so of course, Marvin tells him I play guitar. He hands me the thing, and I don't know what to do with it. It's like, <laughs> I'm like, shum on, shum on. He's like, give it back. It's, you're no good. So we take it downstairs. He asked me to tune it like a real guitar, and so I'm just fiddling around. And this little kid shows up, about 10 years old, and he's just eyeballing me. And he's like, you know, just, you can tell. He's like, you know, can I, can I, you know. And so this guy starts talking to the kid, and the kid is, you know, giving the guitar, you know, air guitar sign, like, I can play, you know. And he's like, and, he, and so this guy tells us, he goes, uh, he has, he has a, you have a bazooki. And this kid had a bazooki up in his room, like the a real, like the real deal. And so we'd like tell the kid, like, go get the bazooki and bring it down. And so he runs upstairs grabs his bazooki, brings it down, and the little 10-year-old just jams this tune. Again, I don't know what it is. And then 
this guy, so, like, we tried to get him to play down in the lobby, but he wouldn't. He's, he was embarrassed. But when the bazooki came out, he was like, oh, okay. Because literally what this guy did is he played for weddings. He played music for uh, events. He played everywhere, and he sang. And so, so he grabs this bazooki, and he starts jamming on it, right? And then all of a sudden, like, the other refugees, like, what is this I hear of my motherland? And they start showing up, and, like, this whole group of them just come around us. And so the men are all here. Women are all kind of sitting back here, and the little kids are crawling all over each and every one of us. And, <laughs> and one of the directors, who is Turkish, s- comes up to the guy, you know, of the, the directors for the, for the building, and he talks to them, you know, and they're like, okay. And so they picked a, t- a tune. And so him and the director, they start clapping, and they start singing this song. And, all, and then these girls get up, and they start doing this dance with it. Oh, my gosh. It was like the first moment joy had touched this place in yeah. so long. And you could feel the joy of the Lord. Like, they were so hungry for this moment. Like, our music and our dance, you know, they were smiling. It was so it was just so amazing, and, and we were just so blessed to be able to, like, help facilitate that. And, and so we talked about, after that, um, the stewards, who are the, the host family, about them maybe trying to do some culture days or nights where they're allowed to cook their food, and, and then they can bring out the bazooki and maybe play some music and dance and, and just, like, have just something to um, just remind them of home because they're so, so sick about um, their home. And so this, this was just such a blessing to be able to be a part of that. Um, and so after that, we were able to go to ancient Corinth, which is the, the old part of Corinth. And this is kind of, there's a museum here. And so we went through the museum. Um, I just see some, of course, you know, ancient stuff. It's just amazing how old and the mosaics that are just little pieces of rock that have been put in by hand one little piece at a time a um, bunch of statues out here in the courtyard all of course the neck is the most uh, vulnerable uh, on these sculptures so that's always the first thing to go is their heads um, and so this is the um, this is the temple of Apollo that's at this little site um, and there are, you know, s- lots of ruins for, now this, yeah. And so this is the, the old city. These are the ruins. And a lot of these are, were shops and just little spots where, you know, that were buildings for, you know, the market and whatnot. This was another shop right here. It's left in pretty good condition. Um, and then up here, you can't go back. So up here on this hill, mountain, whatever you want to call it, is a castle. And um, we weren't able to get up there. But I'm pretty sure that the, um, the uh, Temple of Aphrodite is there, which was another huge uh, goddess for Corinth, which I'm going to talk about here in a minute. Um, now, this is, this, is, um, this is called the Bema. And this is where, in the book of Acts, it talks about Paul was taken before, and I'm going to read that, um, before the proconsul Galileo. 
And this, this is the location that they said um, that, that that happened. And um, if you want to read like where Paul was at, you go to Acts chapter 17, chapter 18. Um, but this was in Acts 18, verse 1, where this little uh, thing happened for Paul. And I'm just going to read it out of the Bible. But it says in verse 1, it says, After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And then down in verse 7, it says, After, and, and, and he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, um, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and, a, and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Galileo, Galileo was proconsul of um, Achaia, <laughs> the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying this man, which is what this, that spot was right there, saying that this man uh, is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, uh, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of question about words and names and your own laws, uh, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. So that picture was that spot where Paul had that happen. Um, and then there's a, so this is the, the, the little plaque for the spot. I'll try to read it. During Paul's stay in Corinth, he was brought for judgment before the proconsul on accusation of conducting illegal teachings. Galileo, however, refused to judge what he considered to be a mere religious dispute among the Jews. According to tradition, uh, the site where Paul um, at the Bema, a large elevated rostrum standing prominently in the center of ancient Corinth and from the city's officials addressed um, the people because of the monument's connection to St. Paul. The Bema was transformed into a Christian church during the Byzantine period. Today, the monument constitutes the historical seat of the metropolis of Corinth and the location where a great vesper uh, is conducted on the Feast of St. Paul. So they do a ceremony down here. And so this is from up here at top of that spot, and they try to keep some of the, the, the stuff in place. Uh, there's a stone that has a, uh, an inscription. Go back. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, you know, which is what Paul went through when he was in Corinth. Now, some interesting things about Corinth was, you know, like 2,000 years ago, Corinth was a city of about 750,000 people. That was massive for that era. And so it had two ports, so there was a lot of trade and a lot of business that came through. Um, and, and so it was a very strategic hub as far as commerce goes. And it had lots of tradesmen, had lots of sailors who were... Um, course this port was catering to them and so um, on again on that 2,000 foot cliff there behind was the temple of Aphrodite and um, in that temple there were said to be a thousand prostitutes who served and so because of that 
Corinth actually got a reputation as a very intensely sexually immoral city. As a matter of fact, it became synonymous with sexual immorality. And there was even a Greek verb that was created, um, and it's Corinthiazomia. And it literally is translated to act the Corinthian, which meant to be sexually immoral person. And so, you know, after having, after Paul took the gospel to Athens, the Lord was having him take the gospel to a city where, you know, Satan was manifesting in the area of lust. And so that was a big deal. And of course, you read the letters of Corinthians, and you can see he was dealing with sexual immorality in the church at Corinth. Uh, so here's just some more ruins. This is a big street down the middle of the place. Okay, so now this is the church that we worked with. Uh, it's called the Evangelical Church of Corinth. Very original. Um, didn't say first. They don't have a lot of firsts there like we have here. But this was the church we went to. Um, and so we did several nights there. We did a Wednesday night, a Saturday night, and a Sunday morning. And this was the Saturday night service. And at the Saturday night service, they brought in gypsies. There's a gypsy church that was, I don't know where it was located, but they brought them in. And so Saturday night, these are all gypsy people, all of them. This is, this girl's on our team, but all these, you know, dark-complected, dark-haired people. They're all Romas, Romanian is the, is the heritage of them. But, um, you know, gypsy is the word that they get stuck with. And a lot of them, it's kind of a derogative term. So you, term. So you try to call them travelers, aromas. Um, so this, they had a moment where they said, we want to sing a song for you. The gypsies all speak their own language. They don't speak Greek or English. And so I don't remember what it was about, but it was about God because they are these are Christians, and uh, they were just they wanted to sing that over us um, as a team. And so, um, so this guy right here in the white shirt, he is an African Dutchman. He's from he's a Dutch person, African American, but he lives in Kansas City at IHOP. And he happened to be in Corinth the same time we were there, and so we connected with him while at this church. It was really cool. Um, and he, he speaks, and he stayed in the house where uh, Marvin and I stayed at. And this is us leading worship. So you can hear English, you can hear Greek, and Roma. And, and Roma. Yeah, and so they were just worshiping right along with us. Um, they were so passionate. Um, and that night we were able to, we broke down into four groups, and we were able to prophesy over every single one of the gypsies. And, and after the adults got it, they started bringing their little kids up, and they're like, they're just like, throw them at us, like, go, <laughs> just <laughs> take them, do your, do your thing, you know. And, you know, it was so much fun prophesying over these little kids as well. It was just amazing. 
And then we went back Sunday morning, and Sunday morning they did the worship, and then Marvin, who's right here, and of course myself, uh, we got to preach that morning, and um, it was fun working with the translator. Yeah, and so I was just preaching that morning about apostolic worship, and that was a little introduction. So, so this um, at the church there they have three uh, leaders. This guy, his name's George. Uh, this is Giannis, and then not there's another guy. Giannis's dad is um, one of the other pastors, and Giannis, this guy is the guy that Marvin and I stayed at his house while we were there in Greece, and um, you know just. Wonderful guys have a heart for the Lord. Tiny, tiny church. There are no big churches in Greece at all. Like the, one of the biggest churches is in Athens, and it was 400 people, and it was, I think, an apostolic Pentecostal church. And then there is, I think, a, a Presbyterian church in Athens that was like 300. Like they just don't have big churches. You know, Orthodox, I, I wasn't sure. They didn't have a lot of information about that. So we went to Athens after that, and we stayed at a house that was owned by another missionary couple. They were actually renting it, and it was like a four-story house, like it was with a basement as well. And so uh, this is, I, I went out the morning that w after we stayed the night at this place, and this is up on the roof. And from here, again, you can see the view. I mean, it's mountains and sea. And this is what they told us that this was the nicest uh, neighborhood in all of Athens where this property was. And you can see some of these houses are pretty nice. There's the sea, mountains in the background. Old abandoned airport right there. More of the sea back there. Um. Now, so when we were in Athens, we, took, uh, we went to Athens for a couple days so that we could work at a refugee center in Athens as well. And this is on the roof of that center, and you can see all these clothes. Um, this center was a little different than the one in um, Corinth because they didn't actually live at this one. This was a place where they could come and wash their clothes and take a shower and hang out for the day. And, uh, you know, again, looking in every direction from the rooftop of this building, you know. Now, this is Athens, so there's a lot of buildings, a lot of houses. But, of course, the beautiful mountains are there. And they, those right there are um, solar panels. That's how they heat their water. And so this was my job the first day. I was in the washroom. And you just sit in there all day. And they bring their basket of clothes or their bag of clothes, and you give them a number, and you stuff the washer with everything, and you throw in some powder, and you hit start. They go around the side here, and they take a shower, you give them a razor, whatever they need, and then they take their clothes up to the top to air dry, or they pack them, and they go. Now, there's a lot of cool stuff that happened there as well. 
So this um, specific organization was called Alliance or LEAF, or like All Ref for short, um, and they're a Christian-ran center. So um, one of the cool things about this place is that if, you know, with respectfully, if the gospel comes up, you can share it. Um, so you can talk about Jesus here. You can pray for each other, for people here. So that was kind of one of the cool um, differences about this place. Um, like Tom said, this was just um, a center where people would come into. They didn't stay here. So it, it serviced a lot of practical needs. What the people are doing here um, in this center, it's really making a difference in their very practical differences, just letting people shower, letting people do laundry. Um, there was a kid watch area that I spent almost all of my time in, um, just playing with some little kids. The parents could come and drop them off um, and, and just take a little bit of a break while they sat out and had coffee or tea um, or played games with each other, that kind of thing. Um, so, so the place is just, I mean, it's really... They're struggling. I mean, they're having trouble because of some differences between the government and, and the UN. But um, the one of the guys, Emmanuel, who led this place, he was like the manager of it, was kind of sharing some stories with some of us just of how it came about and, and the people that they see. And they originally just started um, opening the center and servicing it for Syrian refugees and then started getting this like influx of people from other cultures. So they, they see a lot of Afghani people, Iranian people, people from Iraq, the Syrians, and they split up different days because some of these people clash because um, of their, their cultural differences and that kind of thing. Um, but, but they run this center all the time. Um, it closes, it's seven days a week, and it starts, you know, early in the morning and then closes fairly late into the evening, um, and they're here just kind of facilitating things for these guys. Um, and so these kids are just so, so sweet and so just full of love. Just, I was so honored and so blessed just to be able to spend time with them and to play with them. Um, he kind of gave us a, a little bit of a warning beforehand. You know, they'll kick you, they'll, they'll punch you, they'll bite you. And they did. Uh, <laughs> they definitely did. I had one, you know, one little girl, you know, kick me and rip my glasses off my face. And, you know, like, <laughs> like she, they're, they're rotten. But there's, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you know, work with them and show them some love and show them some attention. You know, just like our kids here, when our kids act out um, or you have a child that's acting out all the time, they probably just want attention. Yeah. Um, same, same thing with these kids. And so just being able to kind of shower them with like complete attention and play with them and be able to be on the ground with these kids, you know, was, was just an incredible thing. Um, a lot of the girls liked to do hair and unfortunately a lot of the girls had really short, uh, hair because of lice in the camps and, and things like that. So, um, they, I, I what at one point in time, think I had three girls behind me, like braiding my hair and just doing these things. Um, and they're just, they're just really sweet, sweet people. Um, and and then we, there were tables set out where we could kind of set up and and play games and do do that kind of thing. Um, I think one of the things about missions work is you want to go and you want to see these crazy outbreaks and these revivals and this just this radical like salvation of all these people. And of course, that's you know that's the goal. But what these people really needed th th was relationship and just to um, be able to come in, have some of their needs met, and be able to enjoy some time as well, just to be able to play and you know talk with somebody and do that kind of thing. And there was a, um, every day that we were there, there was uh, a team of YWAMers there, which is another like missions related organization. Um, 
Yeah, so there was a bunch of um, of those people as well that it was really exciting to kind of meet them and, you know, hear their stories and work alongside them um, and do, do that kind of thing. Um, but one of the stories that Emmanuel shared with us was that there was, um, there, uh, there's a huge, like, movement with with the people of Iran. There's like the, these Iranian churches that are just kind of popping out um, and really cool things are happening. He told stories um, when we had a chance to talk about like other you know, refugee camps and other centers that are experiencing, you know, revivals of sorts that are experiencing, you know, great moves of God. Um, and the, the Iranian church is one of them um, where, you know, one person is getting, you know, radically saved and their lives being transformed. And they're saying, you know, to everyone, they know, hey, you've got to get a hold of this because a lot of these people are following Islam. And, you know, they're I don't want to say they're stuck in their ways, but, you know, because nobody's stuck, but they're they're not aware of, you know, what else is out there for them. So when they see somebody they respect and know and trust kind of, you know, running after the Lord and saying, you know, this is great and this is real, um, it's it's really sparking up a, a movement there. And I got to hear some really incredible stories just from the people who are working that center, you know, every day, every single day they're there just being obedient to the Lord and you know, following what, what they feel like the Lord is wanting them to do. And the guy who manages it was like, I didn't even want to work with refugees. <laughs> he was like, I was in Lesbos and in the military and, you know, these things. He didn't even want to work with the refugees, but he's, you know, just being obedient to what the Lord is calling him to, you know, and running this center. And they really, they're making, they're making a dent and they're making a difference um, in, in Athens and just being able to, you know, help love those people and service those people in practical ways. Yeah, it was really powerful because <coughs> when you ask them, you know, where they're from and where they want to go, at the first, the UN, run, the UN run one, they all had, you know, well, I'm from Syria, I want to go to Germany. But so many of these guys were Christians. And so, I, you know, sitting in the washroom, I'm talking to all the men as they come in. I'm like, hey, how you doing? Where are you from? Where are you going? And one after another, they said, I don't know. Where God send me, I'm okay. I go with God. God take me where he wants to go. I don't care, you know, and that just that heart of just wanting to follow the Lord was was really passionate. I mean, literally right now, one of the greatest revivals that are happening in the earth is with the Iranian church. It is the biggest revival that's happening right now. And you just don't hear anything of it. You just hear all the garbage that's coming out of it. But it's real. <laughs> it's, it's happening. And so many of these people were were Christians following following the Lord. Um, they offer classes here to teach in English. They help want to keep the kids' tr education trying to go. and So they had some basic math classes and basic English classes. But that was something they really needed. The other, at the UN base, the kids had nothing, zero. And so there were so much good needs there that, that we could be helping with. And, and the stewards are going to be working on that as well. But this, this center was a lot of fun because you could talk about your faith and really connect with people. <coughs> so while we were in Athens, we were skipping around from picture to picture. <laughs> so this was a, uh, a another spot in your Bible. This is Mars Hill, or the Areopagus. And <coughs> this is in Acts chapter 17, and I'll, I'll read it real quick. Verse 22, it says, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. 
What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since him, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything else. And so this is that spot where he, he preached this message on this big rock. It's this big, you kind of climb up to it, and it looks out over. Back behind us is the Acropolis. That's the big famous Greek place that everybody, you know, you see all the pictures of. We didn't make it up there that day because we're fat and tired and hot. <coughs> but this is the... Uh, this is the view from that spot on Mars Hill there, the Arapagus. And again, you can see so many, so many um, buildings um, in all directions. It's just, it's just amazing, you know. It's just, and, and that's part of the rock right there. Because where that girl is, if you walk a few more steps, it's like a 100-foot drop. <laughs> they definitely don't have American railing either. And they're like, if you're dumb enough to fall over, you probably should have died. You know, it's the uh, it's the Darwin. Uh <laughs> but anyway, so so you at your own risk, you went up <laughs> to Mars Hill. Um, and there is another spot again of the Acropolis um, from that spot. It's just beautiful, beautiful place. Um, looking down the mountain or down from this hill. This is the um, temple of uh, Hephaestus. Don't know who that guy is either. It's irrelevant. But that's what the temple is. So, I mean, there's just so much. I mean, all through here, we just could have went and saw so many things. There's so many um, landmarks and beautiful places. So this is downtown Athens, <coughs> huge city, bustling with lots of people. This was like a side street where, you know, obviously you're, you're just walking in the streets. Cars do come down, but very rarely. It's not on the main strip, but there's just shops and that green uh, that green first aid sign is not medical marijuana, thank you very much. <laughs> That's their pharmacies, <laughs> which, by the way, you can go in and just ask for a prescription. It was, it was good because some of our team got sick and they needed some antibiotics. But this is that. Um, it's just shops all the way down here. It's beautiful. Of course, in Athens, the way we got around was through the subway. And so this is all part of our team. Uh, so that's Jenny. Jamie and Becky. This is Ed and Ray. They're a couple. And then I don't remember who this girl uh, is. I don't know who that girl is. <laughs> but she was there. <laughs> she just talked all the time. This is true. So I love her because Jesus compels me to. <laughs> no. She was awesome. He, he just locked me in a closet the whole time. Don't let him. <laughs> Don't let him lie this to you. This is your room. <laughs> this is where they're going to keep you. He said, now you can come, but <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> but you can't talk. You have to be quiet. So it was fun hanging out and squishing into some of these subways. That was, um, And then there's the Acropolis at night. It's all lit up. It's very beautiful. Um, that was on our way out, heading back. Now, um, so this was kind of the last spot. This is another beach I was suffering for Jesus on. Just rolling my sleeves up, trying to get my farmer tan. Um, this is uh, this was also um, in Athens, I think, or, or well, not it wasn't. It was I don't know where this is. This is a beach, but it's a famous beach. I don't know the name of it. It's not that famous. It's irrelevant. 
But we're out here. We were doing worship. This is this is literally this is the um, this is the spot of a um, a mercy ship miracle. So mercy ships are these ships that travel into ports and they provide medical care and they just you know it's a missions again it's another type of missions arm. Well, the story goes around 1982, and I'll try not to read it too much. But around 1982, a ship came into this specific bay, and they were stranded. And while they were there, an earthquake hit that area, and uh, it just destroyed buildings. It was just a really bad. It shook all the way out. The boats could feel it in the water. Um, and so people were struggling for food. It was just a really bad situation. And so the people with the mercy ship, they were praying and asking the Lord for provision. And so as they, you know, after a few days of this, one morning, uh, one of the captains went out on the ship outside. He was just looking out in the bay. And there were fish were literally calling Alger. Like we're disco fish. <laughs> they were so so. Literally, these fish start jumping out of the the ocean, like the sea, jumping out of the o- sea, jumping onto the bay, beaching themselves. And so, like all the natives, the Greeks were like, "Oh my gosh, what's going on?" And so they come out and they start collecting these fish. And it happened again and again and again. And they were like, they could not figure out what was going on. And so they literally counted all the fish that they collected over a few days, and it was 8,301 fish, like nearly two tons of fish. And it was this miracle moment for the people of the Mercy Ship and the local Greeks that they just, they've held on to this forever and ever. And so Paul, which is this guy, Paul Stewart, um, and his wife Rebecca, they're the long-term missionaries here, and they wanted us to come out to this spot worship the Lord, and just prophetically pray to see if God wanted to do something in this location. Because what they're both associated with YWAM, and there is no big headquarters for YWAM in Athens, or in, yeah, in the nation of, Ath- of, of, Ath- of Greece, Greece. And so, so they were literally asking us to pray with them that maybe this could be like, because the stewards are like forerunners of forerunners when it comes to YWAM, uh, having a location, and so we were out here, we were worshiping, praying, and then they asked us to go down the beach, and so down here is this, it's a French resort, they only speak French, and they cater to French people, and so we, in teams of twos and threes, kind of went down there, because they were asking us to ask the Lord if God would have something with this resort, as far as YWAM, because it could make a wonderful hub for a YWAM base. It could literally house about 400 youth. It's got a huge auditorium. It's already got sound. It's, it's, I mean, it's a resort. But, you know, this is a place that they're praying, asking the Lord, God, is there something you would want to give us and do with us, you know, here at this spot? And so we were just out there praying prophetically and just asking the Lord his first will, you know, not praying any you know, witchcraft prayers or give us this land. We claim it for Jesus. <laughs> we're like, God, this is your land. What do you want to do with it? You know, that kind of stuff. You know, we demand that you give us the resort from the Frenchies. 
We just weren't doing it. But we were worshiping the Lord. We were bringing his presence. And we were, we were, you know, seeking heaven on that thing. And so that's basically the trip. Now, what you didn't hear me say is what I told you I was going to go do, and that was to train worshipers and singers and musicians. <laughs> we did zero training. <laughs> Welcome to missions. <laughs> so some things fell through with some Greeks who were supposed to, like the IHOP guy in Athens, like said, eh, don't worry about it. We're not going to do anything. I'm busy. Yay. And so so we had to kind of change modes and be flexible. And we had to discern, what God, what, it, what are we here for? And, and we really, God just spoke to us that we were there to prophetically plow ground. And so there were some things that we did accomplish and and God just did some amazing stuff. So we were there. We were apostolically plowing ground in the spirit. Every morning, every night, we were having a worship and prayer session. We were crying out to God for the Greece people. We were crying out for the Greeks. God, visit these people. Visit this land. Visit this nation. Set up your presence here, God. We were crying out for revival every single day. And that was really powerful. We worshiped, we prayed, we cried. We were redigging wells. We were redigging wells because this was the birthplace of Christianity. And this is a Christian nation. It is. It may not be a very vibrant one, but these people, they're, they are. They're serving God, many of them. And we met so many that love the Lord, passionate, want revival. You know, the people that we worked with at the Evangelical Church of Corinth, they were like, you know, they're ready. They want revival and they want help. So we were just prophesying and praying and apostolically worshiping. You know, we were able to foster joy at the refugee center, and that was so powerful to be a part of that, help them celebrate their culture. We were able to, one of the prophetic words that came forth in one of our worships times was that we were establishing a spiritual beachhead for others to come and to be able to come in and do what they need to do uh, according to the Lord, you know, there's some real strongholds in Greek and in, in, in Greece. Fear is a huge stronghold. Control and um, mistrust of others like they, they will be nice to you, but they will talk about you behind your back. They don't trust anyone. And it is a somewhat misogynistic culture. Now, misogynistic means a hatred or disdain for women. So they are not full-blown oppressive like their neighbors in Turkey and you know, Syria, but they're cousins, you can tell. And so women do not have a high place in the church. They do not have a high place in the culture. Um, they don't have to, to dress and all that kind of stuff, but they are definitely not, um, they are not equal with the men. And so, um, so one of the cool things that we did do, the first night we, we worked in this church, in the church, the Wednesday night service, we were up there, Marvin was leading worship, I was playing guitar, and we did a, a prayer and worship moment, and so Sarah and, and the girls came up and they sang, and our, one of our prayer leader, her name was Mary Lou, she came up and got in the pulpit where the microphone was, and she had her Bible, and so she was praying the word of God, we were singing the word of God, we were just doing our thing, like that's what we're here for to do, you know. And so as we did that, you know, it was great. It was wonderful. And so we're at ice cream afterwards and we're debriefing. And Rebecca and um, 
Paul, which is, this is Rebecca, this is Paul, Rebecca, their son Jacob, and their daughter Emma. They're the long-termers. They're the YWAM team. They're the long-termers from Indianapolis who's been there. And so Paul and Rebecca tell us, you guys, you don't know what happened tonight. And we're like, what do you mean? And they said, this is the first time a woman has ever stood in their pulpit and declared the word of the Lord. We were like, what? And we were like, yes, you know, we were like so excited, you know, and they were talking about, you know, some of the problems and they're like, yeah, there are no women on their worship team. They've never had a woman lead worship. And so we were like, oh, really? <laughs> well, we're going back Saturday night. We're just going to stack the deck with chicks. <laughs> <laughs> and so we put Shelly Roosk on. She was the, she led worship. All the girls were singing back up. We got Mary Lou back in behind the lectern to give the prayer leading. It was like women's night with me on guitar. <laughs> and so we're like, we're just going to confront the spirit like right head on. Head on. Yeah. And so we literally were able to help break through the glass ceiling there for yeah. ladies. It was powerful. Uh, and then they let the, the pastor's wife had never been allowed to translate before. Amazing woman. Amazing woman of God. Wasn't ever allowed to translate. She's the best translator. She's the best she translator. She better than her husband and everybody. Yeah. And not allowed. And that after we broke through that ground, they they let her translate. I think, was it for you or for Marvin? Yeah. For one of the men, they let her translate. And it was the first time, she said it was the first time she had been allowed to. And it was just, it was great. It was, it was so great. Awesome. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, and so we prophesied over the gypsies Saturday night, Sunday morning, Marvin and I preached. I had a guy named Mario come up to me after the, after the service, and he was so, he was, he was coming. He's like, will you please explain the scriptures to me? And he's pulling out, you know, what is this old wineskin, no, new wineskin, old patch? Tell me. I mean, it was like a Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch moment, you know, how can I know what this means unless someone tells me? And so I spent, so they fixed us the lunch, and I spent the whole time trying to get a bite in and talking to this guy, and we just spent talking through the scriptures. This kid was an evangelist, and he was so upset about his friends. He's like, I can't get all my friends saved, and they ask me hard questions, and what would you say, and how do I answer this question, and how do I answer this question, and and, you know, and I was like, dude, you're doing fine. You're awesome. Bro, if I had like a hundred of you back home, we would do something <laughs> awesome. And so I just, I even had a word for him and I just prophesied over him. The Lord was so pleased with you and you are, you're planting seeds and let God have patience enough to let God water them. And he was so thankful. He was so grateful. It was such a powerful moment. I was just so happy to be able to do that. And then another thing we did is we really strengthened the stewards which is the, the family who's been here. You know, one thing I learned about the purpose of short-term missions is that there is this value. The value of short-term missions is for us as short-term missionaries to be a support and an encouragement to the long-term missions. You know, when we uh, got there, the stewards had been there for several months, and they were getting homesick. Uh, they were wondering what God was going to do with them, if anything, wondering if they even did the right thing like should we come home because they were it was so dry connections were so hard and when we got there it all just changed for them and this is really powerful too so here's one thing Paul and Rebecca told told us 
They said, when we, since we've been here, our son Jacob, who was what, six? Nine. He's nine, okay. He's six, nine. <laughs> our son Jacob, the nine-year-old, since we got here, has not smiled one time and has barely said two words. And they said that when you guys showed up, he came alive. She goes, I got, and she's crying at this point. She goes, I got my son back. And so he was just so full of life. And Emma, their daughter, was just, you could, they just were so alive to talk to people in their native language again. And so we were able to bless them, to encourage them, to strengthen them um, in a really, really powerful way. And just to hear Rebecca say, I have my son back, was just, it was just amazing. And so we were strengthening them. We infused them with some hope, um, renewed their vision for why they were there. They were able to strategize, Marvin and I and Lisa. We met with them a couple of times just about strategy for the area, and it was just really, really powerful. In fact, and so Rebecca sent this email out to us, to our team, just a few days ago. She says, hello, dear family, and this is the team that went. She goes, I will start by saying how much we miss you all. We had a conference call last night regarding a new prayer project happening in Greece this fall. We were able to use what you did as examples and encouragement to help spur people forward here. We were able to share with people from Sweden and Thessaloniki, Athens and Virginia about our experience with what you guys accomplished while you were here. Your time here was and is continuing to be significant. There are not enough words to thank you for all you've done. Thank you for being our guinea pigs, for hosting teams. It was truly an honor and privilege to have you. We love and miss you so much, the stewards. And so we were literally the first team that they had were hosting from the states because they want to bring teams in on a regular basis to help be a part of the solution. And so we actually kind of got to break them in on how to do meal prep and how to handle showers, you know, because there's no hot water or very little. Um, and so, you know, we were travel, how to get around, just all that stuff. We were able to just really forerun and pioneer so many things for them. And so, all in all, we left our mark on Greece. Amen. We really did. Yeah. And the stewards, they've invited us all back. We hope to continue this good work. Sarah's even praying about going back in June with Cree to, I hope I'm not saying anything out of, <laughs> oops. I really want to go back. I, I really want to go back as soon as I can. Um, I want to be able to, to go with Cree. It's it's safe. <laughs> we want to be going in the camps, but I really do want to go back and, and um, further serve the refugees and bring, um, I, I want them to know the Lord. <laughs> Guys, I want them to know Jesus. Amen. I want to help serve um, over there and, and work with those people. I've had dreams. Um, I feel like a really deep pull. Yeah. I don't know if if June will work, but I'm looking to go back as yeah. soon as as soon as I can and work things out. I'll give a testimony out. about Sarah. So we were in a prayer meeting one morning, and, and they uh, Marvin said, everybody just, we're going to do popcorn prayer. Everybody just pray something, just whatever's on your heart. So we got to Sarah, and of course, she's just bleeding for the refugees, and she's just crying out, oh, God, we love them. Show them your love. I mean, we're all convinced. I did not sound like that. You did. <laughs> it was an ugly cry. I was ugly cry. I was ugly crying, but, but here's I did not what, sound like a man. Here's what's cool. Besides the heavy anointing that was on this prayer, 
So one of the gals on our team, was I was watching her watch her, and this gal was crying herself. And, it, and when it got to her turn, she goes, you, she goes, this prayer that you just prayed, you're healing my heart right now. I used to be passionate like you were. And, you know, and she's gone through some really garbage stuff in her life. And she's like literally how Sarah was praying was healing her heart and renewing her hope and passion to go after God with everything again. It was really powerful. It was really powerful. So I just I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Sarah says thank you. Thank you guys for supporting us, for sending us. It's blessed us to have this experience, to, to experience the generosity of, of this house. You know, you guys have left a deposit in Greece with us and because you sowed into that nation. You've sowed into that nation. And it's we are just we're we're so happy to to be a part of that and and you know, we are going globally in the supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so we just say thank you guys. We love you. If you got questions, feel free to talk to us. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we'd love, we have more stories we could share, but we need to go. So we're going to pray. Amen. Father, we thank you, God, for what you did in Greece. We seal that work. And God, we say, more Lord, more Lord, more Lord. We cry out for Greece again. We, we call them out to be saved, to be revived, to be raised up, God, to be, God, the apostolic church that you called them to be, Father. We thank you for what you did for them, what you did with them. And God, we just say thank you, Father, for, for how much you love the Greeks, the Syrians, the Iranians, the refugees. God, we thank you for your love. And Lord, we say, God, help them more and send us again, Lord. Send us again and again. We thank you for all you've done today, God. We give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.